Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is February 26, 2014. This is episode 1300 and, well, what is it? 1309 is what I think it is, but am I right? Yes, I am right. I did remember my mind is returning. Uh, 1309 of the Survival Podcast, and today's episode is called Wake Up. The zombie apocalypse is here. Yes, the zombies are... No, the zombies aren't really marching. It's a metaphor, but I have a message for a lot of you today that are freaked out about various scenarios being the big one that will come and get us. You're standing in the biggest disaster slash shift that has ever occurred in the history of humanity, it is going to steamroll millions, dare I say billions of people worldwide who are unaware that it's going on. It's not about to begin. It's not going to happen someday. It began quite a while ago, and its march continues ever forward, and it's happening right now. Metaphorically, the zombies are walking across the backs of Americans today and eating their brains. Right now, but those brains are also a metaphor. They're eating things like future earnings, job security, industrial stability, and social class stability. What it actually means to be middle class, not just are you in it. These things are being devoured around you. And while everybody's worried about, oh no, peak oil, oh no, CME, you're watching the very fabric of the world shift and ignoring it. Dare I say to your own peril, more on that in just a minute. Before we get to that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one today, BulkAmmo.com. Let's say the real zombies come. Rawr! you got to kill them. you got to shoot them in the head. You need ammo. That's not likely to happen. By the way, I think if we ever got into a sci-fi, supernatural world with real zombies, you know those zombies that are like, ugh, 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 and they can barely move and stuff that are in most zombie movies? Yeah, I think they'd be more like those things in that movie with Will Smith. I don't remember what that was called, the one in New York. Uh, those were a different kind of zombie. Those zombies were a game changer. You need lots of ammo for them. The real reason you need ammo, because sometimes it's hard to find. We have these things called ammo shortages. Another reason is because it's a valuable commodity in a grid-down scenario for barter. Another reason is because you need to train to be a good operator because your gun is only as good as its operator. Another reason is because if you have a gun and no ammo, you have an overpriced club. You need that ammo. You need a lot of it. And you need to pay a great price for it. So check out BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, Save Castle Royal. These are the folks that I call the original survival podcast sponsor. And uh, I'll tell you what, the reason I call them that is they were the first survival podcast sponsor. They were the ones that, that kind of came in right at the very beginning and said, Jack, we want to do this. And at the time, I had like a couple thousand listeners, and I wasn't ready yet. And I said, dude, I I really can't take you as a sponsor because I don't think I'm going to do a good job for you yet. And they said, well, when you're ready, you let us know. And about a month later, I had put the program together and set it up and brought them in as the first sponsor. And they have everything from your prepping for your prepping needs, long-term food storage, tactical stuff, practical stuff, you name it. They've got it, Safe Castle Royal. 
and uh, they give away their discount membership to members of the support brigade. That costs everybody else $49. That gives you discounts on everything they sell for the rest of your life, or at least for the rest of the time in the world that they exist. They've been here a long time, so I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Check them out today, Safe Castle Roll. Remember, both Safe Castle Roll and BulkAmmo.com do support the MSB, so check your benefits section before you uh, spend your money there. On that note, the MSB discount vendor of the day, High Mowing Organic Seeds, gives you 10% off your orders at High Mowing. Actually, I got that one wrong. In my opinion, it's actually a better benefit. It's free shipping on all orders. There's so many people that do 10% off, it just uh, sometimes rolls out. High Mowing Organic Seeds does free shipping on all orders. Uh, from members of our support brigade. Details are in the MSB. On that note, if you're not an MSB member, you get great uh, discounts when you join the MSB, uh, like High Mowing Organic Seeds, like BulkAmmo.com, and like Safe Castle's discount membership, enough to pay for your membership as a whole. You also get to uh, get in early on any workshops we do. Right now, that's helping a lot of people. I'll say more on that in a bit. Uh, you get exclusive video content that's nowhere available nowhere else. You get over $150 worth of free ebooks on day one and help support the show at 18.3 cents an episode is how it comes out to you if you do the math. And uh, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service. First responders like EMTs, paramedics, or firefighters, all of you guys qualify for a discount if you join the MSB. To get an even better deal on a great product, email me, jack at com. Put service discount into the subject line, and one or two sentences is all I need. Tell me about your service, either present or in the past. And yes, prior service means just that. If you did the jobs at any time for any length of time other than one day uh, or something dumb like that, you qualify for the discount. Anyway, you got to do that before, you not after you join. The rest of you guys, please consider joining the MSB. It is a great deal. It is how I pay my bills, and I will give you a positive return of investment both in the quality of the content that I deliver every day that you choose to be uh, a supporter of and in the great content that's available to members only on the website once you log in. Um, on that note, I want to do real quick here our year of the episode segment. This is our little history segment. If you're new to the show, it tells you what went on in the year that the episode number is, to give us some perspective. And it's funny how a lot of times Alex has a history segment that fits the episode perfectly, even though I don't read them until right now, uh, just like you. I pretty much check them out right after I get the episode ready to see if we have one that we're going to include today. All of these history segments and many more parts for each year are available at tspwiki.com. There'll be a link in today's show notes. Today's segment I've cho chosen from Alex's two of the day. The Philosopher King and the Virtue of the Virtue and Hell. I can, let me say that again because I messed it up a little bit. The Philosopher King of Virtue and Hell. With the passing of King Charles II of Naples, King Robert the Wise takes the throne. I wonder if he named himself. I bet he did. He is a lover of education and the arts and supporting the University of Naples. He is known by poets, uh, Petrarch, and Bocherio is a friend of knowledge and virtue. Of course, it would have been nice if Petrarch and Barcherio had been virtuous themselves, but that's another story. Naples in those days was a place of leisure and easy virtue for the aristocracy and merchants. Young men engaged in sword play while pretty young ladies looked on from their balconies and tittered. But Robert the Wise will have his detractors as well. Dante will dedicate a few verses to King Robert and his divine comedy. 
By the way, the Divine Comedy is what most people think they know about hell from the Bible. is not in the Bible. It's in the Divine Comedy. Anyway, accusing the king of treachery for stealing the crown, but it looks less like theft and more like ceding that position to the best guy for the job. My take by Alex Shrug that puts these things together for us at tspwiki.com. There is a problem with how Naples runs at the peasant level. While things are looking pretty good for the aristocracy and merchants, the peasant farmers are getting the screws put to them by the landowners to the point that they might just rebel. It is easy to remember that the niceties of Naples and forget that it is not all flowers and pretty girls for the peasants. Because of that, agricultural output stinks, not because the farmers don't have enough pretty girls, but because they see no end to their suffering. Thus, like the slaves they are, they are doing only the minimal work to get by. Think about that as we go through today's episode of the Survival Podcast. Again, it is called Wake Up the Zombie Apocalypse. It's here. But the zombies will not prevent a really cool workshop we're going to be doing, the TSP Food Forest Planting Workshop. We're going to actually plant four different types of food forests during this. We're going to plant a big, giant, mainframe, Zone 4-style, full-on food forest. A Zone 1 urban food forest, something like you'd have in your backyard. We're going to plant a Zone 2, which is a little less maintenance, built into a contour-based hugel bed system. All the systems are there. We're just doing the planning in this one. And then we're going to plant some micro-forest gardens, the kind of little things that you might tuck into a space within a backyard or a side yard or a front yard if you can... Do it without being, you know, thrown in jail for having a front yard garden. It's going to be cool. It's going to be the biggest one we've ever done with headcount. I've opened it up to 32 individuals. Plus, I have two people that have won spots that are coming for free that I have to honor. So that takes the headcount up to 34, plus helpers, plus guest instructors. I will probably be going out of my mind by the end of this thing, but it's going to be a blast. We have it very well organized. We have everything staked out. We have everything marked so you can match trees to where to plant them. We're going to have three co-instructors, uh, Josiah Wallingford, uh, Nick Ferguson of Permaculture Classroom, and a third that we're waiting to be confirmed is going to be here, um, someone right out of our community here that uh, took his PDC about a year ago, and we really want to give him this opportunity Uh, we're waiting to see if he can make it. If not, I'll name somebody else in that position. This is going to be important because while, during the planting, it's going to be so much that basically each team leader will report to me, and if you have a question, you'll go to your team leader who will come to me, and that way I won't go crazy and end up like, ah, and go nuts, and that way everything will get done the way it needs to get done. We're also going to do sheet mulching of three areas in the Zone 4 food forest, so you're going to get the experience with that, the planting of that. We're going to cover medicinal herbs. We're going to cover um, the whole one section of this actual food forest. is going to be a medicinal pharmacy uh, and how we selected the things that are going in there, the new things that will be coming, support species, uh, mulching, cover cropping, planting trees from seed, plant propagation. This is going to be awesome. If you want to see how to turn your backyard into a food production machine, like I say for Marjorie Wildcroft, I have to say, Come to this. Marjorie ain't got nothing on this. Seriously, you will not believe what we're doing. It took a year of hard work to set up the landscape to do this, and now we're ready to backfill into it. Um, it's open to MSB only to sign up until Friday at 8 a.m. I don't know if there will be any slots remaining open. Right now we've sold 19, and it's been open for two hours and 50 minutes. Um, so it's 10.53 as I 
record this. So we've sold over half the spots in two and a, almost three hours, call it, um, with it only being MSB open. So if you're hearing this and it's still available and you're an MSB member and you want to come, don't dilly-dally around with it. Um, we cannot go any higher on headcount. It's not logistically possible. We're pushing our limits here. I'd love to see many of you guys with that. But now with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. So when I say the zombie apocalypse is here, a lot of people look around and go, Jack, I, I, I don't see any zombies, man. Where are the zombies? And I'd say, well, first you have to understand where the term zombies come from in the world of modern survivalism, preppers, survivalists, whether they're traditional militant survivalists or modern survivalists like the philosophy that I teach or people that just call themselves preppers because they don't like the word. Whenever you hear a person like that say something about zombies, you know, we're, we're not morons, right? We know the dead aren't going to rise from the grave and feed on the brains and flesh of the living. We understand this. Zombies are like a catch-all. Zombies are a catch-all for the end of the world as we know it. So whatever causes a massive catastrophe for society just gets generically referred to as the zombies. And there's a lot of people that are in these movements that have their pet fear, right? It is. It's like your pet. You keep it. And it's your justification for doing what you do. It's very foolish because it leads you to make dumb decisions. Because if your pet is EMP... You're so worried about hardening things against EMP, which you're probably vaporized in a nuclear blast. Uh, if there's ever an EMP where you are, the giant nuclear explosion that vaporizes you into dust is a bigger problem than the EMP. And you can watch all the sci-fi you want, but that's the fundamental reality of this. And so that's your thing. So you're locked in on prepping for that. Or if your pet is the rise of the United Nations and they're going to put you in FEMA camps, then you're all ready to fight a battle that's probably never coming. And if you were ready to fight a battle and it was coming, they'd probably just drop a JDAM on your house. So then you're getting a bunker, and then a hurricane comes, but your bunker's in Idaho and your house is destroyed and you have no way to live your life. So it has that problem as well. But actually, I think, you know, peak oil, and then you're spending, you know, $80 million on solar panels because you think you need to run your air conditioner in a post-oil economy or whatever it is. Um, I'm not saying any of these scenarios are impossible. The other big one people prepare for is economic collapse, and that's actually part of what I'm talking about today. But what I'm talking about as far as economic collapse is it won't look like the – you know, riot in the street, uh, police are rounding people up and putting them on blue lines and yellow lines, and Alex Jones is like, see, I told you they were going to come get you, uh, crap that people think of. I'm talking about massive economic shifts that change the fabric of what society is. And most of you are probably experiencing it right now, and what you're saying is things like, it's the damn blank party, right? It's the Democrats or the Republicans or those stupid libertarians messing up the vote of the Republican Party and splitting their votes. Or it's the you know, illegal aliens or it's the poor people or it's the rich. It's the blank party or the blank group or, or whatever. And it's not. It's a change of society, right? All of these 
segments and groups and, and components of disaster are just pieces of the whole. They're like puzzle pieces, and you're worried about this piece, and then there's a giant picture that this piece could not be there, and you could still see the picture. But you don't want to see it. You want to see your piece. Kind of what brought this up was some discussions on the blog this week about two things. One, why do people buy from Amazon.com? And one guy who I really like said, it's, well, you know, one of the big reasons is you avoid sales tax. Well, bullshit. Uh, Amazon has so many shipping centers and so many places now. It has done so many things to be able to ship faster. The most of what I buy on Amazon.com, if it's subject to sales tax, I now pay it, and I still buy from Amazon. We'll get to that in a second. But that was that was one thing. The other is somebody that's convinced peak oil is here, man. It's real. It's going to get us like right now. And I said, look, when I was in junior high school uh, in 1984, and George Orwell's uh, prediction had not come true yet, there was another prediction in my high school Junior science book, it had how long we had left of different fossil fuels, oil, natural gas, and coal. It said we had 35 years of oil, not till we hit peak oil. 35 years until we would have no oil. Ah! And as a you know seventh grader, I didn't really care, and I still kind of know. And the guy said, well, is it possible that your book reported the facts incorrectly? And I said, you bet your ass it is. And just like many of the facts about oil are being reported incorrectly right now. That we're not in danger of all the oil drying up or even going through the top of the bell curve and down the other side in the next five years. And ah, you won't be able to get tires because they can't make them without oil and all this other BS. Right? Shale gas is not the savior of the world. No, but it's an abundant, cheap energy source. And I don't care what you say, it's going to be around for a long time. And every, every gallon of gas burned is one less of oil necessary, which doesn't mean it replaces oil. It means it mitigates the need for oil, which makes what we have last longer. Peak anything that's finite is real. What the problem is, is the peak oil community has condensed the timeline so that they can go, look at me, look at me, we're irrelevant. And many of the people within the peak oil community are very sincere and very genuine, and they believe that shortened timeline, but they believe it because the people at the head of that movement, again, have shortened the timeline so they can go, look at me, pay attention, because if you tell somebody, well, you know, we're probably going to be really in deep shit for oil if we don't do something else, like in the next 30, 40, or 50 years, then they're like, Okay, so it's not my problem, and they go on. So then you start saying, well, it's like 20 years. And they go, well, maybe. And they go, like, well, like it could be any minute now. Oh, look at me, I'm relevant, right? So these are the types of things that just suck people in to either reality or low probability, right? Could you have a coronal mass ejection of the sun that's so perfectly evil that it hits the Earth's atmosphere at just the right angle, at just the right time, at just the right place in its rotational frequency, at a point where we're at our weakest and the sun is at its strongest, that it could do massive damage to the grid. Yeah. Um, and you could win the lottery without buying a ticket because you tripped over your own two feet, fell on the floor and, and got up, and somebody spit on a lottery ticket that somebody threw away because they thought it was today's lottery and it's actually yesterday's lottery or the next day's lottery, and you get up, you pull it off your face, you see it, you take it home, put it in your pocket, look at TV, and you win the lottery, right? You, it's, it's possible, 
But you are not going to build your life based on the fact, like one day, honey, we don't want to worry about retirement anymore, okay? Because one day I'm going to leave work, I'm going to fall, I'm going to find this sticky, disgusting thing on my face, and it's going to give us like $50 million in a Powerball, right? It's not impossible, but it's highly improbable. So some of these things are just improbable. Uh, not impossible. And some of these things are not if, but when. Will we ever deal with a global pandemic? Yes. When? I don't know. Tomorrow? Ten years from now? A hundred years from now? I don't know. Right? Well, I'm talking high lethality, high contagious rate, you know, and we'll, we'll, how will we deal with it? I don't know. Depends on what it is, how long it takes to figure out what's going on, how well it responds to quarantines, you know, how, who it affects, when it affects them, how, I mean, there's a billion questions there. Right. So that's like that could happen and probably will happen, but you may never see it. So you need to do all the other things we do to prepare. So that if it does happen, you're able to deal with it. But in all of these things where people are freaking out, they're not seeing what is happening. There is a massive shift going on in society today, and it is going to tear apart the fabric of what we believe is a stable system. And it is going to steamroll countless people. Inflation is part of it, but it's only a tiny part of it. It's really more a dying off of things that people believe to be valuable at the expense of many people currently doing them. Let's start with Amazon. Retail sales are dying. I don't care if they're putting in new Target stores and new Neiman Marcus stores in your neighborhood right now. It's dying. It started with music and books, which ironically is where the people that were smart enough to start Amazon began. Uh, many of us actually have a memory and can think back to a time when people still went on the internet and heard, you've got mail, right? <laughs> Remember that? And at that time, when we first came across this thing called Amazon.com, you, you went there, and it was basically a bookstore. That's pretty much what it was. And then there was music on it. And then you looked around at all these stores like Barnes & Noble's, who now has a huge online presence, nowhere near the size of Amazon's, but you started saying to yourself, if you were a forward-looking person, how long do these people have? And people said, oh, no, I like the way books feel. I like them on my shelf. I like their smell, whatever. And it's like, well, that time it wasn't even about ebooks. People weren't even having that debate yet. Some of us were going, that's coming. It's a technology thing. When you can put something in front of me that feels like a book, turns pages like a book, has pictures like a book in it, instead of like the first generation of Kindle, which was black and white and didn't work really well, once you can do that, all bets are off. So... That was another page turn. It was just simply like, why would I go to the bookstore to buy the book and I have to drive there and come home when I can order the book here and I'll come to my house? And then Amazon started adding other products, and then Amazon got really good at what they did. And like I said, new Mike on the blog said it has something to do with sales tax, and I've paid sales tax on most Amazon purchases I've made because what Amazon has done is gone to their major markets and put warehouses and shipping centers right in them to speed up their efficiency. So since they're in-state and they ship from in-state, and when I order and they ship, I take title to the goods, I pay sales tax. Plus, a lot of states have closed the loophole with, like, so if I buy, even if their shipping center for this product is in Nebraska, but you're an affiliate and I bought through your link, then they owe Nebraska sales tax. 
So I think in a lot of places, Amazon just said the hell with it and just started charging a sales tax, and whatever state the person's in, they pay it. Because Amazon doesn't pay it, the state does. So they just showed down, and then they gave up. So it's not that anymore. Why, why would I buy, why would I, Jack Spirico, buy something from Amazon instead of go down to a local store and buy it? Now, if it's you know Mike's Garden Center... The real new Mike, not the actual Mike's Garden Center here. This is a pretty big conglomerate anyway. But it was the new Mike's Garden Center, and he was selling something cool. Even if I could get it on Amazon, I might go buy from him because I want to support my local economy. But if it's Target or Walmart, frankly, I'd rather deal with Amazon anyway in the way that they treat their employees. I'm not saying if you work for Amazon, it's like you know getting a job questing for the Holy Grail or something like that. But it's better. You're treated better. You know, they treat employees probably even better than Costco does, and Costco treats employees in their sector better than anybody else. So they treat their employees better. So that alone, if I'm going to buy the same item, I'd rather deal with a company that treats their employees better. And I'd love to tell you that I think about this, and when I'm about to order stuff from Amazon, I think I want to buy from the company that treats their employees best. I would love to tell you that I have that much time on my hands to think that way, and I try to, but it's not really what it is. It's that I can say, okay, I need a new microphone, and I'm going to have to leave and go to the store and break, break up my day and go deal with people and all this other crap and then go talk to an idiot that doesn't know anywhere near as much as I do about which microphone to buy. Oh, and then if he does know, he's going to tell me his is best because he's paid to, or I can go to Amazon.com. I can look at real reviews by people. I can see what operating system or what computer they're using that goes with this microphone. I can see everything about it. Oh, it's on Prime. Since I'm a Prime member, I can have it shipped for free. It'll be here in two days. But what if I want it now? Well, then i got to get up off my ass and go get it. But generally, for a lot of things that I need, I need it like soon, right? And it's actually going to get into my hand faster ordering it from Amazon rather than waiting till Friday uh, after I'm done with the show for the day and I'm going to take my wife I'm going to swing by the store while we're going out for dinner. Or I'm going to burn up time on my Saturday to go to the store when all the other idiots are there in my way. Where I can just click, one click, buy, boom, and it comes to my house. I know you're wondering, what does this have to do with zombies? Hold on. Some of you are already there. Good for you. Some of you are like, I think you're probably right. Some of you are going, what is this guy talking about? you got to get up to speed on what's going on in the world, man. So here's another thing I just learned. We had John Pugliano last week. He's like, I bought my dog food on Amazon. I'm like, I never thought that that would work. So I went and I looked, and there's a bunch of small bags and things like that that are on Prime, and they don't really work. And the ones that aren't on Prime have high shipping. And But I looked around for a while, and I found a brand that we feed our dogs often. It works pretty well. It comes in 32-pound bags. And I need about two bags like that uh, a month to feed these two giant beast dogs that live in my home, plus the meat scraps and things that they get to go along with it, and a can or two here and there. Well, it costs exactly the same as it does at the store. In fact, it costs about what it does when we find it on sale. So we kind of look for people that have their dog food on sale because it's expensive. You can buy as much as you want, and that way you have dog food in reserve and things like that. But, you know... Even with being a prepper, you only store so much with space, and you end up with, oh, i got to go get another bag of dog food. Well, I can get two bags of this delivered once a month on automatic order with the price locked in, and if there's ever some kind of major disruption where they have to change the price, I'll get an alert by email so I can cancel it and find something else. 
and the UPS man or postal man or whoever gets stuck with this will drag these, this 64 pounds of dog food up to my front door every month for me. And if nothing else, now when I go to the grocery store and I do buy my groceries, I don't have to jam that giant bag of dog food up underneath the cart and take up that space. Why in the hell would I buy dog food from the grocery store or from the department store ever again? I mean, think about it this way. If you had a person that lived in your home who just, like, used no resources at all, he just was, like, he sat in a corner, and every time you needed your dog food, you could just say, hey, corner guy, go get my dog food for me. And he'd leave, and he'd come back with your dog food. And it turned out it took him two days because he walked to the store and carried it back on his two shoulders But he never asked you for anything. He never took anything from you. He never bothered you. And all you did was get a bill and pay for the dog food. You'd probably just go, oh, it takes him two days to do it. I need some dog food. Hey, corner guy, go get me some dog food. Well, Amazon's like having like 400 corner guys in your house. Whatever you need, whenever you need it, they go down and get it for you. And they take nothing from you in return for it other than the cost you were going to spend on the item anyway. This is why people order from Amazon. And once you're on Prime... It's done. You're like, I'll spend that money every year. I'll use it for streaming videos. I'll cut my cable bill because I'll need less from them. And I'll get this as a byproduct. Okay, done. What does this mean for retail? Does this mean that in 10 years there won't be a single retail outlet anywhere in the world? No, of course not. Some people actually like to shop. I know that. But there's not that many of them. Uh, most of them are women, and they like to buy overpriced crap. And when you hear what's going to happen to the economy, they're going to have a lot of money to do that with anymore. And stores like window shoppers because they give the appearance of something going on, but it doesn't really make them any money unless some of them buy. Well, what if I told you that almost 66% of U.S. GDP comes from retail customers? Let's just say it's because that's a number off of about.com. Let's say it's half. Now, It's a little misleading because, well, you can buy a computer retail and you can buy um, uh, a book for college retail. And that one is really education, right? And one might be considered entertainment. So they go in different categories. But in the end, this total dollar spent retail in the United States is over half of our GDP, which makes sense because it's so diverse. But... If we take that money out of retail and move it toward Internet commerce with sites like Amazon, because Amazon is just the best, right? It's just the best one right now. There's not like there can't ever be another one, and there will be more. And many retail stores like Walmart, like Target, will move more and more into online models. They're already doing it, but they'll get better at it because they're going to have to, and they have the money and the capital and the workforce and the talent and the technology to get it done. So they're going to do it. So what happens if we just lose, I don't know, let's say 20% of that market. That's a full 10% of GDP. Gone. We well, can say, well, no, 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 it just, it just moves. It's not really gone. People are still buying the same thing. They're just buying it from Amazon. But Amazon does the same amount of work with about one-sixth the employees. See, the Amazon model is this, get really efficient, really good, And make sure that people want to do business with you. Hire people. Treat them better than your competitors. Pay them twice what they would make in a retail space, but get six times the results out of them, which is about a 300% return on your labor-to-cost ratio. 
And when you have a 300% return on your labor-to-cost ratio against your competition, your competition's screwed. So if that retail market falls that much, that's jobs. That's wages. That's the money those people spend. That's their health insurance. That's their investment in their retirement account. That's their Social Security wages that are being used to pay today's retirees with today's workers' money. Right? It's, it's, it's a, that alone is the complete and total destruction of the economy as we know it. Remember, the end of the world as we know it has the as we know it part. It doesn't mean it's gone. It means that you have millions and millions of people who have no real marketable skills Because face it, if you have true marketable skills, unless you're just bored and you're done with what you're doing and you don't really need money and you like to talk to people, so you got a job at the sporting goods department in Walmart and you're one of the one in a thousand to have that job and knows what you're doing because you're just doing it for fun, most people in that space are not there because they want to be. It's because it's the best they can do. So they don't, they don't have a lot of places to go. So what happens when all of those people start atrophying out of the workforce and they're going to start atrophying like this? That's one, a second. That's what's going to happen. Except they'll come like this, and then a pause, and then this will come in waves and cycles. The only thing that can happen, so I, I told this story, so I'll tell it in brief. I had this you know, winter shopping trip for Christmas with my wife and her sister-in-law and all these other women and kids, and ugh, this place called the Highlands. This place is decked out, man. This place attracts yuppie money day and night. So we go there about two Christmases ago. They had just built a giant Borders bookstore. I mean one of the nice ones. One of the ones you walk into and you're like, I could live in this place. right? There's books. It's quiet because people are dumb and think bookstores are libraries. So everybody's quiet, which I love. I don't want to tell them they don't have to really be that quiet. There's a great cafe I can have high-end coffee. There's even decent food in there, some with meat for me, the paleo guy. And this thing had been built like six months ago. We were still living in Arkansas. So we go there, and I'm like, I'm just going to sneak off to this place, and I'll tell them to call me on my cell phone. And when I got there, there was a sign that said closed. And then it had a big giant banner that said coming soon to the container store. A Tupperware store took over this book space. And what do you use Tupperware stuff at the container store to put all your crap in and store it? <laughs> That says something as well. So we have a massive shift coming just in the loss of retail jobs. And you're probably thinking, well, I'm a computer programmer or I'm a mechanic and I, and I don't really care and I, because I don't do that and retail sucks anyway. So no one really wants that job. Yeah, but how many of those people buy something that supports your industry that aren't going to have money? Then they have to figure out something to do with themselves. The next thing is, and I've talked about this before, I call it downward class migration. This is where the middle class is actually eroding. This isn't John, who was born to Tom and Sue. And Tom and Sue are his mom, and Tom and Sue are solid middle class. And John works hard, gets good grades, goes to school, gets his consumer debt, he gets his student debt, gets out of school, tries to work really hard, and gets a job, and he just doesn't ever get a job as good as his dad. No, this is John. His dad was like a construction worker and lived a solid middle-class life. 
and he gets a job making more money than his dad ever dreamed of making. But John lives in the world of today's expenses, while his dad is still living in the vestiges of yesterday's expenses, because John's dad's been in his house for 25 years. He's almost got it paid off. He's living in a house that, other than the insurance and taxes on it, has the cost associated with 25 years ago. John's living in the world where to get a house or an apartment, he's paying today's cost. And when he looks at his health insurance costs and he looks at the cost of having a family, and the cost of having a car, and the cost of feeding himself, and the cost and the cost and the cost and the cost, even though he's labeled upper middle class, he doesn't have it as good as his dad did. He actually went up in the class structure. His dad was solid middle class. He's edged into upper middle class, what we call upper middle class today, and the value of even being in that group has slid. That is not what any financial network or any you know financial um, alternative site or anybody that's talking about the destruction of the middle class is actually talking about right now. They're talking about you can't get in anymore. I've been telling you for years now, getting in the club doesn't mean what it used to mean. Imagine it's like this. Imagine there's a club. There is a real club called this called the Manhattan Gun Club. Yes, this really exists. I've been there. I'm not a member, but I'm a friend of a member, right? And the Manhattan Gun Club is a place that you go in and you sit down and you have a meal at a, at a table. And at that table, you know, they bring you your food and it's not on a menu. They have different things every night. And if you take your friends there, there's like six of you and you have a couple of bottles of wine and everybody has a meal and a couple of drinks, you're probably out like $2,500 to $3,000, and you would think that that is uh, steep enough to keep people out, but it doesn't work that way. If you want to be a member, do you know a member that wants you to be a member who will sponsor you in? No? Then you don't get in. Okay, you got that? So you got to know somebody. Now you want to get in. I believe over 15 years ago when I was actually at this place, the number, the, the membership fee for the first year was like $20,000. Like if you can't pay that, you're not going to be able to afford to be here anyway, so... And then there's a renewing member fee, and I don't know what it is. So it's expensive. So it's expensive to be there. It's expensive to join. And you got to know somebody to get in. And when you're done eating and you're a little bit drunk up, but they, they make sure you haven't had too much to drink yet, not too many highballs, you go down in the basement, and they have uh, 22 uh, bolt-action rifles, Marlin Model 25s, by the way, and they have a range underneath this club in Midtown Manhattan, and you go down there and you shoot guns at targets, just paper targets at about 25 yards, and they got just like a, a regular firing range would have. You can't bring your own gun. They have just these guns there, you know, and they're like there's a, like a maitre d' that loads it for you and hands it to you, and you shoot it, and the barrel never points anywhere but downrange because he won't let you, right? Because people are actually a little liquored up when they're doing this. And that club has a tremendous value to its members, Right? Think of that as the affluent class, like not the uber rich, not the uber wealthy, like the upper tier middle class, like the people that are worth a couple million bucks. All right? Now imagine if the people that were in that club had liked it that way all of those years and they're letting people in as they choose to, right? That's the best analogy I can give you. And one day, the guy that actually owns the whole thing says, you know what? From now on, we need more money, so we'll let anybody that can pay the fee in. You don't need to be sponsored anymore. It's a problem, but it's still limited because 
Well, it costs more to get in, and most people that wouldn't get a sponsor anyway could afford or want to pay for it, and they don't even know about it. Well, he puts a sign on it, they're advertising it now. It says, taking open applications for membership. And then he says, we're going to cut the joining fee from eleven grand to $500. Now you can join for 500 bucks. Oh, and we're going to stop serving this high-end food, and instead of being into it for $2,500 bucks for wine and cheese and food in a table of six, it's going to cost you about, oh, I don't know, $100 bucks a head. How would you as a member that had already spent all this money feel? There's your, there's your middle class. And you pick any, like, I know the regular middle class never had it that good, but they had it pretty good. And it's the same devaluation. And this is coming. And it's being aggravated by all the other things I'm talking today. Um, if you're a computer programmer and you think, you know what, as this technology evolves and, you know, all this stuff that's going to remove jobs like e-commerce platforms and 3D printing and stuff, like we're going to need coders, man, and I'm going to code. I'm going to be awesome coding. And so I'm going to always have a job. I'm going to tell you the same thing I'm going to say about teachers. Half of you are dead in, in 10 years. Half. Gone. Basic coding is going to become such a commodity. I know people are going to say it already is, but no, you don't understand. No, I'm talking about 10-year-old kids and not the brilliant ones that are just like, I want my, my iPod to do this, and it doesn't, so I'm going to write my own app. And they're going to go, oh, it's not in the app store, and they're going to see this jailbreak crap and all this crap you have to go through to break, uh, jailbreak your iPhone. And some kid's going to write a jailbreak app that just you just plug it in, you just drag it on your iPhone or something, and even though they say you can't do it, it's just going to do it. And you're going to be able to do whatever you want with your iPhone, even if you're on AT&T. And that's just the beginning. Because what's going to eventually happen is all of these kids that are not in a place yet where they need to earn money and don't really think in the way that we do, like, I want to control this, are going to go, wouldn't it be cool if? And some of these, what if we could, wouldn't it be cool if things that are going to start coming out of our teenagers are going to be computer programs that eliminate the need for programmers, intelligent programs. This is like, think of like things like Ajax, where people can just drag and drop stuff and set up things, right? Somebody has to code the back end of that. Think of like Ajax on steroids. Think of like WordPress on steroids. Think about having programs that allow you to create programs without knowing programming. And somebody's going to write me and tell me we're already doing that, and I know we are. I just don't know the exact specifics, but we're still in its infancy. Over the next 10 years... That's going to get more and more prevalent. In 1999, I was approached as I was considering making a move in sales from a small data cabling company, and this is eventually when I ended up working for Fluke Networks through a variety of things that happened. I was approached by a company and said, we want you to come sell for us. And I said, what do you sell? And they said, websites. And I said, you sell websites? And they say, yep. I said, well, who do you sell them to? And they say, businesses that want a website so they can sell their stuff. And I said, well, what's a website cost? And they said, well, our average site bills out at about five to $10,000. And I'm like, okay, I could make a decent living if I'm selling you know, 10 of those a week with a decent commission. What, what kind of websites are you building? And they showed me their websites. And I had already purchased in 1999 this little nifty thing called Front Page 2000. Scary enough, I still use that damn thing. I know it sucks, but I suck. I'm not a good designer. That's my point. So they show me these websites they're building, and I look at that, and I go, 
it's only marginally better than what I can do. And I taught myself how to use this thing four months ago, and I didn't really try hard. And I thought to myself, these are nothing but five-page brochures, and this company may be going in the right direction, or they may not, but this is not what the Internet's going to be based on. That the average person will have a personal website better than these things. And it was true, and I don't know whatever happened to this company, and I didn't take the job, but... In 1999, with something like Front Page 2000 or Adobe Dreamweaver or something like that, and a very moderate understanding of graphic arts, you could put together a website and make five to ten thousand dollars. Well, today, with a basic understanding of WordPress, you can create that website in 15 minutes, and no one will pay you five to ten thousand dollars for it, even though it does more than those websites ever would have, because most people can do it themselves, and it's still a little complicated. It still has little things you have to figure out. But in another 10 years, people will be using the touchscreens and creating a shape that they want to design. And the computer will render something that looks like that shape. And they'll just start tapping it to change the shade. And they'll be moving it. And people will be doing design with their fingers. All the complexities of doing layers in, in, in Photoshop will go away. You'll be able to do things without even th really knowing how you know how to do it. It will become like carving a block of wood, but you won't have to have the artist's skill to do it because the computer will be your helper in the skill. And people will be creating things from programming to graphic arts and back with no knowledge of how the underlying stuff works. Well, somebody has to develop the new stuff and make that work. Yeah, and you need like half the people to do that. So what I'm saying is if you're in the programming, coding, developer, graphic, arts, you, you all that world, if you're not in the top 50%, you're done in 10 years at the most. You have to be in the top half or you're done. You're gone. You need to go find something else to do. So if you're mediocre, you're done. And that's where we're really entering. We're entering a world where a lot of things that were just perceived to have amazing value, the mediocre no longer will be able to make a living at them. There'll be other opportunities, but are you going to be prepared for those other opportunities? The entertainment industry is just slowly being decentralized. Like Things like YouTube are just the beginning. You know, Right now I'm teaching myself Final Cut Pro. I've kind of become a master at Sony Vegas. Both of them are not hard, but they do take a lot of skill and a lot of time. We're going to get to a point where we can edit video by talking. Yeah, speech recognition software sucks for now. It's made, I mean, compared to 1999, and we're moving faster and quicker. You know, and it's not that bad. I send most of my texts with Siri now on, on voice recognition, you know? Like, I could do this right now. Tell Josiah I'm doing this on the air right now just to make a point. I know this text makes no sense. And we'll see what Siri says. And we'll see if Siri... Tell Josiah, I'm doing this on the air right now just to make a point. I know this text makes no sense. Tap to edit. So there it is. So I'll send my intern this text right now for no reason other than to make a point. And, and that's all we'll have to worry about. And it's done. And, and now he'll get that text. So... That's just one example. So what about when I can say freeze frame? 
Back up three seconds. Set marker. Move forward two seconds. Set marker. Cut. Blend. Apply effect. And effects come up. Which effect would you like? And this is really how the system works now. It'll work better than that. I don't even know how it's going to work. But when that kind of thing happens, you can move that fast. And you're not dicking around with the, the, uh, the cursors and trying to set things just right. And how much faster will editing be? And how many more people will be able to do it? And how many more Hollywood-quality productions will we be doing? The, the video quality of an iPhone 5S today, frankly, an iPhone 4S and above, is better than just about any video camera you could have gotten your hands on in 1999, period. In fact, it is. It won't do certain things with Zoom and all uh, that those cameras would back then, even you know with audio and all as far as picking up microphones and stuff like that, remote mics and all. But it's, it's, there's, there was not a camera. There was not a camera in 1999 that shot a 1080i that I'm aware of anyway. Certainly not one a consumer could afford. And, and put in their pocket or even a small bag and carry it around for under $500. And now the camera that does this also holds all my contacts, sends text messages. does all, I mean, it's almost like people are like, yeah, all these technologies exist, but they, they have this misgiving thought that like, okay, that's, that's it. We did that now, and that's just, we're not going forward from here. Things are just going to be the way they are now. Guys, your parents thought that in the 70s or the 60s. Yeah, they put tail fins on the cars. Cars are done evolving, right? Holy crap, we have a car that gets 20 miles to the gallon. Holy crap, we're done. Man, that's great. Nothing will ever change. No one's going to want a small car. No one's ever going to buy a car from Japan. Nobody's going to ever buy a car from Korea, for God's sakes. People don't get it. Entertainment industry is actually going to be one of the few growth industries, but the monopolies and the hegemons are gone. They're not gone yet. They're on the way out. They know it, but they're in denial. Old school news is right now is a zombie walking. It is. Old school news is, you know, Fox News, CNN, all those stations. I know they still have tremendous influence, but they are zombies. They are a walking corpse. They don't even know they're dead yet. That's what a zombie is. It's like this walking dead guy that doesn't realize he's supposed to be dead. That's all your talking heads. They're holding on. They're clinging. They have their pointless, you know, internet bitch sessions once a month or so. You have this panel on in suits, and they're talking about how kids just don't get it, and they're tweeting with these 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 words that aren't real words, and their their grammar sucks, and the depth of the English language, and everything else. And that newscaster's kid's going to be going to that girl who's texting with purple hair and a nose ring ten years from now, and begging her for venture capital money to do something when the world has changed. Old school news is done. How big an industry is that? Don't just talk about how it's a good thing. I agree. It's a good thing. You know, the iPhone also is that every citizen is now a reporter. Police officers can't get away with a lot of the bullshit they used to get away with. There's somebody videoing them every, every time they turn around, try to pass laws against it, but people do it anyway. It's hard for two police officers to arrest 18 people that are all videoing them at the same time. It's not so simple anymore. So we're seeing what's going on more. We're getting unfiltered news. Some of it poorly vetted and misreported, but at least we're getting everybody's view of it. 
And that's good. And most of the people doing it don't even want a lot of money for it. Some of them don't want any money at all. So we're getting people that are willing to do the work for free that other people used to charge multi-six figure or multi-seven figure salaries for. What do you think Matt Lauer's salary is? And is he really valuable to anybody other than the network he makes money for? What do you think a national news anchor makes? And do we need them anymore? How many people are employed in these systems? And as these systems don't go away, but die from their current state into a metastasized cancer patient that somehow hangs on at half its body weight, how much of the GDP gets hit by that? And where is it for the money to go? What brings it back? How many of you trust MSNBC, NBC, CBS, or Fox News anymore? How many of you trust them? How many of you just turn them on and listen and pay attention to what they have to say instead of just picking and choosing little bits of information to come out of them? How many of you trust me more than Fox News? I'm pretty successful in in my space. I really am. I'm probably one of the more successful podcasters financially period, that's not a radio guy with a podcast. It's a pure podcaster. I bet I'm in the top 1%. I'm tiny. I'm tiny. I'm sitting here right now talking into a $100 microphone using a $600 PC and $1,000 worth of software and some web hosting that costs me four or $500 a month, and I've built all this great stuff, but out of that, you trust me more than you trust Fox News. Just like Amazon was books and music when it started. Except I'm not Amazon. I'm the guy currently selling on Amazon. And there's millions just like me. We're just getting started. We're going to tear news and entertainment apart. Because they're dying corpses and they need to be torn apart. This is an evolution of humanity. But man, it's going to hit some people in the head along the way. Next thing. Bitcoin. No, I'm not saying Bitcoin is the wave of the future. I'm telling you right now, even if Bitcoin fails, this is what I've realized. Bitcoin has exposed the fallacy of the economic industry. The financial industry's claim to value has been exposed as a gaping, festering lie that it is. There there are many of you who have always understood the fallacy of the economic industry, the fallacy of Wall Street, the fallacy of monetary creation, the creation of, of something from nothing, and, and, and backing that, that, that new something with the debt that enslaves another individual who incurred the debt on the part of the party that tendered nothing of value in exchange for that money to be paid back. That's fine. You get that. 80% of you right now are going, huh? That shows Tuesday next week, guys. Enough of you asked. It's going to be Tuesday next week. But what Bitcoin has done, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's a good idea or not, no matter what you think about it, and understand a lot of people didn't think it was a good idea to buy your book from an unsavory, newfangled website like Amazon.com in, in 1999 either, right? Was it even around in 99 or was it a little later than that? I think it was like 93. Four, honestly, that Amazon was dot com. Ninety four or ninety five sticks in my head, but in ninety nine, um, people didn't think. You know what? Uh, this is a good idea. Most people were still hesitant to buy online. Most people were still not trusting of the internet. My father 
1999 told me, you're talking to the people in Australia, you're going to get a big bill for it one day, right? I mean, that was, a, that was the, the feeling. So the fact that the majority of people today have been blinded by the smear campaign, which, guys, is it not even worse than I said it would be? I mean, it is absolutely, positively massive how bad it really is, right? I mean, it, it's hard to even understand um how accurate I was when uh, when I predicted this media onslaught against Bitcoin. That the, all the negative stuff I've, I've been hearing from people, it's in you know Netflix original series. It's on primetime TV. It's 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 being pounded. There's this this thing that criminals use, right? So people have been misled by that. They don't understand it, whatever. But there's a lot of people that are using it, uh, millions. And a lot of those people. Initially, were people that understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the fabrication of something from nothing at the expense of an individual who incurs a debt on behalf of another party who tendered nothing of value. They understand. That was the first adopters. Even though I'm one that understands that, I was not a first adopter. I basically always thought Bitcoin was kind of cool, but I've only actually used it in the last you know month. But a lot of people eventually just say, wait a minute, this actually works? And they're like, well, let me try it. I'm not going to, like, you know, web programmers are one of, the, one of the people that really used it heavily. And designers, because people say, well, I'll pay you for it. They go, well, I'm out a few hours, and if it doesn't work, and they get it, and it works. And they, they go buy something else with it, or they turn it into cash, or they turn it into silver. And now there's debit cards, and there's you can go get a Bitcoin ATM and buy Bitcoin at an ATM. And they go spend that Bitcoin with people that take Bitcoin. Whoa. So what it's actually done is open people up to the concept that money is not a thing. Money is a social contract. Money is a psychological agreement between members of economy to assign a value to a means of exchange as a symbol for energy. And most of the people that are getting, wow, Bitcoin works, don't understand it that deeply. Again, I probably have half the people listening to this going, what do those words mean? Again, we'll talk about that next Tuesday. No. What they've understood now is that money can actually be created and actually can have value just because it's decided that it is so. And as our youth, this next generation... These, these kids that are learning more before they start kindergarten on an iPad than most kids in our generation ever learned by fifth grade are going to understand this at a much higher and faster level and start saying, what are other ways to do this? And the control that's been exhibited on society by the financial elites will begin to crumble. But a lot of people that are just as enslaved as everyone else like their jail cells, they're going to hold on. They're going to get steamrolled as the entire economy goes through a flux and multiple permeations of new means of exchanging value. Bitcoin is a mouse fart in an economic superstorm that is coming as people create new methodologies of accounting to allow person-to-person transactions. Bitcoin's the biggest because it was first. There is no other reason that it's the biggest. It was just first. First is one thing. Next will have a bigger impact. The big thing again, though, Bitcoin has shown us the fatal flaw of financial industries and their illusions of value. It has pulled back the curtain 
on the man behind the curtain. It has shown us that the great and powerful Oz is a cowardly little man with some special effects. That is who the Federal Reserve really is. Cowardly men who see others to be subjugated to their needs. Cowardly men who sell money into existence and sell it to themselves for free and charge you in exchange for it. Cowardly men that don't understand the very thing that they created is actually the thing that Bitcoin is based on. Instead of fractional reserve, it's cap and fractionalize. It's going to change the world. And it doesn't matter tomorrow if every computer running Bitcoin software explodes into thin air. The genie is out of the bottle. This is this is where people get so hung up on, well, somebody got money stolen and and and, and, and there's people and there's this place, there's this Silk Road place and, and 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 they're all criminals and they're trading money and people put their money in there and they didn't have any security and then all their money disappeared and see Bitcoin doesn't work. Well, if you put all your cash in a warehouse run by criminals and it disappeared, you wouldn't say cash doesn't work. You'd say the people running the, the, the warehouse were criminals. And the people participating were criminals, and one of the criminals took all the other person's money. Duh. Or, I heard that the computers get so hot, it's not worth it to mine Bitcoins anymore, or whatever other stupid crap, and you don't get it. It doesn't matter what the future of Bitcoin is. It matters what the future of enabling transactions consumer to consumer is. Elimination of the third party in the transaction. Or I should say producer to consumer. The ability for me to walk up to your little stand on the side of the road and do business with you completely outside of the United States economy, the state of Texas's economy, and the banking system, and the United States Treasury Department. Bitcoin does that. Something's going to do it better. Why do you think they're slamming the shit out of it? They know. They know it's all falling apart. You have a dying, bloated corpse of multi-headed beasts. Financial elites, the corporatocracy, the plutocracy. Those in government at the highest offices that have been put there by those other individuals that now see themselves as belonging there. We have congressmen that walk around in suits and they're decked out when you see them in video at the Capitol building. They look more well off than a freaking scam artist, high dollar TV preacher. They're scared. On one hand, they know. On the other hand, they cannot accept this shift in the paradigm. Don't be like them. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, all of these shifts are coming. Bitcoin's just part of it. And on energy, I don't care what Stephen Harris says. I mean, Harris is a brilliant guy, but he basically craps on anything that's new and innovative out of alternative energy. If somebody says, well, this is going to be good for the environment, oh, it'll never work. Well, why not? Oh, it's this environmental crap. Well, that doesn't mean it won't work. Frankly, if I was building some new monumental alternative energy platform today, 
I would talk about the environmental impacts it would have in my white papers and in my buzz releases because it attracts capital. Of course I'm going to say that. Whether I believe it or not doesn't matter. If I'm looking for money to fund my... I won't do it. But if the average person in business is going to put the words into the presentation, into the prospectus that attracts the capital, duh. But if you don't think we can figure out how to take a technology that now is almost 200 years old, which is that's how old solar energy really is now almost, and actually make it viable, you are wrong. Of course we can. There are so many sources of energy that we have only just begun to understand. And I'm not talking about dilithium crystals and the Starship Enterprise. I'm talking about real doable solutions that we're just beginning to understand how to implement. And energy will become cheaper and easier to produce. And someday, it will be pretty easy to produce a lot of energy and store a lot of energy for a low price in your home. No, I don't believe they broke Tesla's knees and took all his stuff and it could have happened 150 years ago or whatever. Tesla's not that old, but you know what I mean. No, I don't believe that there's a guy in Nebraska that built this box in his house and all you got to do is plug it into your wall and it powers your whole house infinitely forever and then you don't have to worry about it, but the electric companies knew it was there, so they killed him. I don't know. Come on. Let's use our brains. But the day of having... Energy productivity in the hands of the individual is approaching. Probably not in the next 10 years. That's a little bit longer. But we're on our way to it. We're on our way to it. Many of us that are alive today will, will probably see at least the first and second generations of this type of technology. They'll eliminate grid dependence. But boy, we have a lot of anguish between here and there. Gee, how many people are employed by these industries to extract fuel? From the ground. So you don't get it. Oil and gas? What, what percentage of GDP are they? Not to mention oil extraction, oil exploration, oil refinement, oil transportation, gas transportation. All of these things, as we develop less and less dependence on them, will eliminate jobs. They will not create jobs. Because the implementation of the new technologies are going to require less energy and intelligence than the old technologies. They're going to be more user-friendly. They're going to be things that you can do on your own. But they're, that's probably a moderate one. It just barely makes it in my list today. Because the timeline's longer. But it's part of it, so we should talk about it. As I've said, the education market is going to be sliced and diced. I won't go on all rant about education. A couple of people have been upset with that recently, saying, I'm tired of hearing about it. You don't know what you're talking about anyway, Jack. And one guy, you don't know what you're talking about. You said you didn't do good in high school anyway, even though you could have and you're smart and you've done well in life. So you're not qualified to talk about the education system. Actually, I'm perfectly qualified to talk about the education system. So I'm a person who's built multiple companies. I'm a person that's pretty daggone smart when it comes down to it. I don't say that about my ego. Just when it, I don't think there's many people that would say I'm a dumbass, really. And if you do, you're just being insulted because you don't have anything else to say. On, on, the, on a straight-up intelligence layer, I, I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure things out and I can get things done. 
I've been successful in my life in many ways, financially and otherwise, and I have done more than most people with a college degree or two will ever do from just a pure success standpoint. Before I was 40 years old. Now I'm in my 40s, but before I was 40, I could already say that. Right? So I'm perfectly qualified to talk about the flaws in the education industry, but let's let the flaws go. Let's just talk about the reality, the economic reality. The education industry, when you look at kindergarten through university and doctorate level, the total education industry from preschool to you are a doctor of seven different things, even though you're not a medical doctor, that kind of education, right, is over $1 trillion in the United States alone. It is 10% of our gross domestic product, and all I'm saying is over the next 10 to 15 years, it will be cut in half. That's 5% of gross domestic product. What do you think that's going to do? Smarter people than ever before, doing more innovative things than ever before, but less need for them to do the things that we have come to accept as being jobs. And one of the largest workforces in the country are teachers. When you look at kindergarten to university and beyond, teachers are one of the largest workforces we have. Half of them will not have a job in 10 years. I'm telling you. Half. Gone. The half that are left will probably be doing better than they ever have in their lives, except for at the upper university levels. Levels. And if people are teaching shit like French literature, you're screwed. You're screwed. Nobody, it's like most people that take that, it's like they have to take something like that, so they take that one. People are going to want to know how to do things, how to get things done, how to innovate, how to develop. They'll study history for history's sake, but the total market for that will go down. I like history. I include a history segment. I'm not putting history down. And you know, you know, 16th century French literature is actually kind of look at history. It's kind of a great window into it. But if you're going to be an engineer, you don't really need it. I'll let go the diminishing value of a degree. The fact that we have many mediocre teachers that would, are doing that only because they didn't have anything else to figure out to do. And the fact that we have many really good teachers who will do okay in this shift if they understand it and adapt to it and just say, all I'm saying is half of them won't be employed in 10 years. And what does that do to our economy? The current paradigm of healthcare is dying and good, but what is the cost going to be? The government has destroyed an okay healthcare industry. But people are beginning to look at the pharmaceutical companies and realize, let, let, let me explain to you this way. Let, let, let's take it down on a much smaller level. Okay, so let's say that, you know, I run sales on MSB. And when I run sales on MSB, I get a pretty good hit on people that buy. So I know I can run a certain number of sales on MSB, and I'm going to sacrifice some revenue because some people that would have bought the next day if I didn't run a sale are going to buy today and spend less. Um But overall, I'm going to pull in business I wouldn't have otherwise had because people are waiting for that opportunity to buy. And if I run four or five sales a year, 
even six, that I can probably, with the size of my audience, do that sustainably with my business and not too much sacrifice my incremental revenue and continue to build the MSB so that I have a, a larger market so that I can offer more and get more discounts and I can create a sustainable business. What if I came on the air every Friday and said, I'm running a sale over the weekend? And every Friday I did that. How quickly would the audience start to go, that's just the price now? Okay? And if I started to do it at half price and devalued it to the other members, like I talked about with the gun club in the beginning, who had already supported me for this long, how long before they were pissed off? And how many times could I go back to the well and ask for more before I hit a point of diminishing returns? I do these workshops. They sell out relatively fast. But what if I ran a workshop a week? Do you think I could fill them all? Even if there were great varied topics, don't you think there's only so many people with enough money and time to travel to these workshops and show up? I actually get far more people that say I can't afford the time than I can't afford the money. So I can only push that well so much. And it, let's flip it around a little bit and say, what if, I, what if instead of doing memberships and, and workshops that my business model was like many of my sponsors and I sold you food? And I had these great cases of food at a great price, and I ran sales on them. How many? How much could I stuff into my market before you start to go, I don't need any more, or I'm out of disposable income to buy this with, or now I think he's doing it just to do it. He's just cramming. Or if I came out and I said, this is the best food ever, right? This is the best product I've ever had. Buy it. And you bought a couple cases of it, and you tried some, and said it's good, and you bought a couple more, and you laid it up. And like three weeks later, I came back and said, Wow, I thought I found the best food ever, but now try this. And you tried it, and you'd say, oh, that's pretty good. And you'd, it might work for a while. But there would be a point where I piled on so far, and you'd start to say, this guy is always going to be coming up with something that's supposedly better than the last thing just to sell it to us. Hello, Merck. Hello, Johnson & Johnson. Hello, Pfizer. That's you. That's you. It's only so many times that a person goes through their parents' prescriptions with them and looks at nine prescriptions and two are for problems and the other seven are to, call, to counter side effects of themselves and the original two. They start to ask themselves, like, do I want to take all this shit when I'm my dad's age? They even give it to their dad because they're like, well, he's screwed now. And the kids, again, have access to all this information. You can try to program all the... Your kids are a key factor here. You can try to program them all you want in public education. And that's... I'm sorry, teachers, if you're pissed. I don't care if you want to be doing it or not. Your system is designed to program the minds of our children. And that's why they're not supposed to question your knowledge or authority. They're not supposed to ask you a question that actually questions the answer versus a question that leads them to the answer. You don't like it when a kid says, I don't believe this, do you? Because you've been programmed not to like it. You've been programmed by the same system. You don't even know you've been programmed. Well, I got news for you. The, the flow of information is so high now that our kids are looking outside of the programming and going, uh-uh, no. And this next generation, these teacups and china plates... They have a lot of problems with resiliency. But you know, you know what most people need to solve their problems with resiliency? 
just enough adversity that somebody can't fix for them to decide they've got to fix it for themselves. And that's it. Boom. It's done. Our children aren't weak because they're weak. Our children are weak because we've made them weak because we can't handle their failure. Not because they can't handle their failure. Well, sooner or later, they're going to have to deal with their failures and they're going to take the knowledge that they're gaining and the deprogramming they're doing to themselves along with a renewed sense of ability and they're going to change all of this. And one of the places they're going to change it is in healthcare. They're not just going to take a pill because the doctor says so. They're not just going to do whatever they're told. They're going to say, why does my child need like 89 shots by the time he's five years old? What did people do like 30 years ago? Oh, they got vaccines three times by their, by their fifth year. And that worked and no one was dying and falling over. Maybe we need to do that. I'm telling you, healthcare industry has it's become so expensive, it's going to have to morph. No one's going to be able to afford it anymore. And there's tons of people in the healthcare industry right now that are not necessary. My wife used to be one of them. She was very good at her job. Maybe this will make those of you who I'm like teachers and, and programmers and stuff, they're mad at me when I say that you're not necessary. I love my wife. She's a wonderful woman. She's great at her job. She loved kids. That's why she stayed in pediatrics for so long. But her, her job's not really necessary. You don't need as many of her as there are for her job to be done. Because over ha I said one day, I said, honey, I want to ask you a question. How many people do you see on a daily basis? What percentage of the people that come into your office on a daily basis really have no need to be there? She said over half. Over half. They're there for a stuffy nose that they don't need to come in for. Well, why are they there? Well, they have either private insurance, is really good, or they have government, Medicaid. Or Medicare, right? Or Medicaid, because Medicaid, they're kids, right? You know, they're on chip or whatever. So the parents bring them because they don't have to pay anything. Okay. So, <laughs> wait a minute. So what you're telling me is this huge market of, of the medical industry, another massive segment of our GDP, Half of it's not necessary. And that's the truth. You say, well, that's not the same in emergency rooms. Oh, yeah, it is. That's not the same with surgeries. Oh, yeah, it is. I bet you half of surgeries are unnecessary. I wonder how many cancer patients have surgeries that were never going to save their lives and actually make the end of their lives worse because we can't be honest about certain points in time that we are beyond what we can do as human beings. Just in that one second, I wonder how many of those surgeries are unnecessary. I wonder how many cancer patients that have 0% chance of survival are taking $10,000 dose chemotherapy that actually makes the end of their life worse, because we can't be honest about it. I wonder how many people are having expensive coronary bypass surgeries because they ate too much fast and junk food. Because we can't be honest about the fact that that is just an awful way to live. We'll pay lip service to it, but we won't do anything about it. The world's going to shift. And that massive... And, and here's the thing. You think your government wants you healthy? <laughs> They need your tax dollars. And the people that own them need your money. And you do not make money in the healthcare industry in America today if people are healthy. You make it when they're sick and dying, but not quite dead. That's where all the money is. 
It's not a healthcare industry. It's a sickness and death care industry. It's caring of the sick and the dying that makes them money. They want you on a drug from the time you're, you're diagnosed with some bullshit four letter freaking crap like ADD, ADHD, and XYZ PDQRT. It'll be the next crap they'll come up with. They'll put you on this, Johnny. You'll be on it for the rest of your life. It'll screw your life up. So now you're going to need a serotonin reuptake inhibitor when you're in your teens. Yay! And then you're going to be freaking stressed out because of all this crap. So by the time you're 20, we're going to put you on a freaking medication that controls the acid in your stomach. And when you're on it for a couple of years, there'll be no way that you'll ever get off it without massive problems. So you'll stay on that for the rest of your life. That'll lead you to high blood pressure in your 40s, and then we'll give you something for that, which you'll be on for the rest of your life. Because you stop taking it, once you start taking it, your freaking heart will explode. Yay! Healthcare. Bullshit. And don't think the next generation isn't going to see it for what it is. Bullshit. For every good action and every life saved, I believe in the modern healthcare industry, one is damaged, destroyed, or ended. Half of it is unnecessary. So half of it is going to evolve out of existence. And how many people does that affect? This is happening now. You just don't see it yet. Some of these things are 10 years. Education is 10 years. I believe that firmly. 10 years, you're looking at it almost done. Another five, and it's totally over. Like, you, like you, you'll, you'll look at it and go, I can't believe we ever did this any other way. At 10 years, there'll be still people clinging to it, going, It'll, it's still okay, it's still okay. Right? They're going to be like Grandma in the rocking chair. In the old movies, we're like, Grandma, the forest fire's coming, the house is going to burn down. She's got her knitting needles going, it's, it, it's just fine, we don't need to leave, we're just fine. I have cookies in the oven, I can't go. There'll be those people in 10 years, at 15, those people will be either dead or doing something else. And they'll say, well, I always knew. They'll lie. They'll never be able to admit that they were wrong. Or they'll blame somebody and say how terrible it is. Poor elevator operators lost their job because they made the elevator better. How many phone operators lost their job because they made a phone better and easier to use? How many people that punched down cables for a living in the phone company lost their jobs so far because they made a cell phone? But people will say that it's bad that we've done these things, even though it's progressing forward to something better. Healthcare is a big part of that. On top of all this... The population growth of developing countries around the world is in decline. The only reason there's even a net population increase in the United States today is due to immigration. And as bad as we're screwing things up, immigration is, even illegal immigration is on the decline. That sounds like a good thing for those of you that, you know, think, well, we use too many resources and things like that. But see, we have this huge basketball of retirees coming through that are expecting this shit called Social Security. And they're also expensing, you know, pensions and things like that. And those are just not magical unicorn fart monies. Those monies are actually money that they put a little bit in for, they want a lot more out of, and you have to pay for it. And hopefully somebody will pay for years when you retire. And then hopefully somebody will, but as the population declines, and it will, and the number of people working declines, and it will, and the number of, and, and the, the average wage per individual relative to the current required wage 
goes down, and it will, the ability to service those pensions, private and public both, will begin to ebb and fail. And that's happening right now. I won't go any deeper than that. I'll just tell you it's happening. Um, another phenomenon that's happening that I'm happy about, but it's going to have a lot of consequences, is the state. And when I say the state, I don't mean the state of Texas. I mean the state, the uber state, the United States of America, federal government, and all of its confederated federal states within it, like Texas and Florida and New York and Illinois, that are passing all of their draconian laws and telling you, you citizens shall do as you are told, even as they build the apparatus of tyranny, liberty shines bright. We are taking them to task, and they are being taken apart. And even as they grow stronger, they are growing weaker at the same time. It's like the ice caps are melting in Greenland while they grow on the other side of the island. Except in this case, as the tyranny grows, the liberty grows faster. The desire for liberty grows faster. What people don't understand is that our government gains its power from our belief that they are necessary. And more and more people are starting to believe that they're not necessary. Some believe that they, they're not as necessary as we've been led to believe, and we could do with a lot less of them. Good start. But there's more and more people actually going, I don't think we need them at all. I don't think they're necessary at all. Big leap for me, come from a minarchist to right to the edge of anarchism. Right. Actually, for, for me, it was like in 1998, I was a Republican. Okay. By 2004, I was running for state level office as a libertarian, for God's sakes. Still, to get a point now where I'm like, I don't think we need them at all. The only thing I think we need any kind of government for is to make sure that like one person doesn't victimize another person because that other person's weaker and there's no one to stand for that person's individual rights. And when I say that, people go, oh, the government, I go, wait, wait a minute, like, we only need like a teeny, I don't mean a teeny tiny federal government, I mean a teeny tiny local government to do that. That's something that everybody could take care of in their own neighborhoods. Like, I, we don't think we need them at all. What about roads? Well, first of all, we have a shitload of roads already, uh, and so we really need more about maintaining roads right now. We're changing the whole way we, we use transportation anyway. How much of this do we really need? And even if they were going to do that, could that not be handled at more of a local level with, like, let's say, a, a province-slash-state level oversight? And screw federal. You don't need it. Let Alabama... And, 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 you know, Mississippi determine where their interconnections are going to be on a road. They can, they can work that out themselves. And we just, and do we even need that? And, and my thought is, I don't know that we do, but boy, we could get to there without a lot of problems, except for all of the people that are going to lose their jobs and all of the security that's created for people that don't deserve it. Yeah, you figure that one out for yourself. How much security is created for people that don't deserve it in the current governmental and economic system? I'm talking about your security to own things at others' expenses, just to help you down the road on that one. So I see the state becoming weaker and weaker, even as their, their attempts to grow tyranny grow stronger. And sooner or later, there is going to be a clash between the forces of big government and tyranny and the forces of liberty. And it will not be pretty. 
It probably won't look like a Hollywood movie where people are running around with their AR-15s shooting at each other. Because again, if you're that big a threat to a state like this in a shooting war, they're going to drop a JDAM on your house. For those of you that are Star Trek fans, in the series Next Generation, there's a character named Worf. He's a Klingon that works with uh, the Federation. The, the, the Mostly humans is what you see on their ship anyway. And he ends up in trouble with his old society and uh, it turns out he's not guilty but if he's if he's found innocent it screws everything up and eventually they come up with a solution because like we're like you know the, the captain's like we're not letting him kill him i'm ordering you not to let yourself be put to death and they say well you can accept this commendation which means basically all of the leaders of the council cross their arms across their chest and turn their back and you're dead to me all right you want to take the power from this government Discommendate them and turn your back. You're not necessary. They only derive their power from our belief that they are necessary. And if you're not ready to say you're not necessary at all anymore, think about all the places they're not necessary. All the things that government does right now that we don't need government to do. If you want to hold on to 25%, discommendate them at 75%. Step in the right direction. Trust me, as someone who's walked the path, it'll start leading you right to where I am. Don't be afraid of it, though. You still make the final decision as to when you decide, well, I don't really need them for that. And like you said, you'll start to look at certain apparatuses of government, entire departments, entire segments, and go, we don't need you at all. We don't want anything from you at all. We want you to go away. But since you won't go away, we're just going to tell you that we don't need you and we're going to solve our own problems. Goodbye. We don't need you. That sentiment is growing massively in people under 30. In the next generation that those people are raising, they're going to be turning their backs on authority, on government, on convention, on tradition. And they're going to create their own new cultures. And many of you are going to be entering your retirement years when this is happening. I hope you have a plan. Let me put it to this way in the end. In 10 years, the world will be drastically different. And I don't, and I mean, what happened, let's say from 2004 to 2014, the world will change more between 2014 and 2024 than it changed from 1984 to 2004. I think it'll change more than it changed from 1974 through 2004. You're going to see a change equivalent to what we expect in 30 years and 10. And in 20 years, 10 more years after that, if you went to sleep in a science experiment and were brought back and walked around and looked at the way people thought and the things people did, you wouldn't have think that you were only asleep for 20 years. You'll have thought you were asleep for a century, a hundred years. I'm not talking about the technological marvels. I'm talking about the psychological evolution of mankind. And it could be really good or could be really bad because you are going to see a conflict the forces of liberty and tyranny. And I wish I could tell you like the TV shows of my youth that the good guy always wins and always gets the girl and rides off into the sunset. But sometimes evil wins. 
Sometimes tyranny wins. The truth in the old stories with the guy with the white hat is sooner or later, evil and tyranny always fail under their own weight. They can just hurt a lot of people along the way. This is why we need to be changing our lifestyles so that we can live a higher quality of life with less so that we can be adaptable to the changes that are coming. Because in spite of the certainty you hear me speaking with today, I do not know exactly when, how, and exactly the way all of these things are going to play out. And I do not know exactly how everybody's going to respond to them, and I do not know how long it will take a next generation to figure it out and take over and take control. And I do not know how strong the struggle will be between the old and the new. And I do not know when... Either side will win, and who will win eventually, and what it will look like, or if we'll end up with an amalgamated hybrid with things that are better in one sector and worse in the other. I just know these are the things that are in flux, and that they're going to change. And this is why I think it's this is why I did this show. Most people that listen to this will say, "Well, these things are going to change." I think the problem is that most people are stuck and can't accept how much and how fast this is coming. Long before you can't get a drop of gasoline or a gallon of gasoline is 50 bucks, you're going to be affected by the things I talked about today. Long before you ever see an EMP, except on a Discovery Channel, you're going to be affected by these things that I see today. Unless the dice come up the wrong way, long before you're in quarantine over a global pandemic, you're going to be affected by the things that I talked about today. And the good news is there is something you can do about it. You have to start living in today and tomorrow and let go of the past. You have to start designing your life the way people take the time to design a locker in a school and put all this crap in it to make it decorated. We decorate our, our homes, our offices. We design our cars. We design our, our computers now. I want one with red, and I want a little white stripe on it. And I, we design our desktop backgrounds on our computers. We design everything, and we ignore our lives. Your life is worth more than a computer with a red stripe on it. Design your lifestyle. Food, water, shelter, energy, security, health and sanitation. Those are your six needs as a human being. Develop systems around you that provide those needs because if you keep paying for them all a cart on an ongoing basis the way that most people do today, you're going to come short on at least one of them. And which one are you willing to give up? Which one are you willing to sacrifice? Which one are you willing to sacrifice on behalf of your children? Which one are you willing to erode so far that when your children come up to your state in life, it's not even an option anymore, it's just gone? We either transition now because we choose to, or we transition later because we have to. And in the end, when it comes to the clash with tyranny, those who change themselves today and are prepared for tomorrow will stand in the face of tyranny, and those who cling and refuse to will have to kneel. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Up 